0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to New Books in Spiritual Practice and Mindfulness, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Meg, today's host of the channel, and today we're talking to Chelsea Luger about her and Thosh Collins' new book, Seven Circles, Indigenous Teachings for Living Well. Chelsea, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Oh, we are so excited to have you. Um, I'm wondering if you could begin the interview by telling us about who you are, uh, maybe a little bit about your indigenous background and what led you to, to writing this book.
2: Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised in North Dakota. I am an enrolled member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa. So on my mom's side of the family, my heritage is Anishinaabe or Ojibwe. And then on my dad's side of the family, I'm also from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, so I'm Lakota. And um, after my upbringing in North Dakota, I lived on the East Coast for some time. I went to college and graduate school over there, and I now reside in Arizona, where my husband, who is from the Salt River community, which is an Akumal Otham tribe, um, my husband and I work together, and we co-founded an initiative almost 10 years ago now called Well for Culture, which is a platform that teaches indigenous health and wellness. So um, for a long time, we traveled all around uh, the United States and Canada offering workshops and keynote presentations and different things to Native American communities where our focus was integrating ancestral knowledge and indigenous worldviews with health and wellness practices. Um, We have a podcast, um, a social media presence, a website, and a blog, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, our work kind of took on a life of its own. It started out as a hobby, a passion project for each of us who already had our own careers. And um, it quickly became our full-time jobs. And we've been uh, working together ever since. And eventually we decided to get married and have kids. So we also have two, two little ones. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of the long and the short of it.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, and for those who are listening today, you should definitely check out the social media also their podcast. I just listened to your newest podcast and I, I feel like everything that I touch or see or read from you guys, I'm like deeply changed for the better. So everybody who's listening today needs to yeah, really take a deep dive. Um, I'm just curious before I get too deep into your book, I'm curious, did you have a specific audience in mind when you were envisioning writing this book?
2: Well, um, We understood right away that this would be a book for the general public, not just for indigenous communities, so that was um, kind of different. I mean, even though our primary audience, we've always prioritized our people and our communities because we are still reeling from a lot of the impacts of colonialism, and we do have, uh, we suffer from a lot of health disparities in our communities, and um, so we've never really made any apologies about prioritizing our people. But um, we also have always recognized that indigenous teachings are incredibly healing for anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you come from. I've always understood that ever since childhood and hearing my elders and spiritual leaders talk about that. And um, so, yeah, when we um, sort of were contacted by our agent and uh, we're in the process of, um, you know, um, doing our book deal and all that stuff, we understood that this would be a book for a wider audience. And it wasn't too big of a transition, because we've always had non-Native people um, sort of also viewing our work and joining our workshops and stuff like that. And um, we've been pretty good about understanding how to educate both audiences.
1: Yeah. And I would say, you know, that brings me kind of into one of my first questions on the introduction. You opened the book with this incredible introduction and you talked about, you know, settler colonialism and history with such honesty without being threatening. Like, I would just love to hear more how you're able to balance such honest education without making your reader feel guilty. Because when I was reading through, you know, I was more inspired by what I was hearing from you guys.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's all about um, drawing connections and um, like bringing folks in to see. Look, we're all in this together. We we say colonialism, in fact, didn't just impact our communities; it impacted this the very land that all of us live on. It impacted all of our lives, um, and in so many different ways. And so, I think if we could get people. F- for for that to click, and then um, we sort of um, bring people in as allies in that respect when they can relate their own struggles that they're having in their lives to ours as well. Um, but yeah, I just think that it's it is difficult to do that, and I'm really happy to hear you say that that was your feeling that you got from reading that because we do have to share some hard truths in the name of justice, in the name of social justice, and in the name of just being accurate, we have to share about how uh, severe and harmful colonialism has been for our people. Um, But we have been, in some ways, unfortunately, in other ways, you know, it's an asset that we as Native American people have been dealing with understanding and learning how to educate others from the time that we're young children because we're faced with talking about this stuff in the classroom and you know getting questions from friends and from other people and it's like we're we get in this place where we're constantly educating people about our history and so um i've gotten Pretty good at it over the years. I think
1: <laughs> yes, you have you have a lot of experience doing it.
2: Yeah, um, and it, I'm just so passionate about it. I really am, and I really um, feel good when folks can can also the, share that passion and can feel like, hey, I'm an American or I'm a Canadian, and I don't know my ancient history. I don't know about colonialism. I don't know about the hundreds of tribal nations that have been on this land for thousands of years. I think people get, um, like, they want to know that because it's it makes their history deeper and more significant as well.
1: Yes, I agree. And I think you did, you both did such a great job weaving in social justice concepts throughout. Like, every part of this book, you know, like, I was rooting for you guys, because it's so well done with that social justice lens that in like every way, it's like a holistic perspective of social justice and your experience. And I was really excited to see that. Um, you talked also about being trauma informed and healing centered, you know, in in my work spaces in counseling and food insecurity, I've heard about trauma informed, but we don't really go past and beyond that into healing centered. And I was really excited to see that, um, Can you talk a little bit about how you go beyond trauma-informed and into healing-centered?
2: Sure. So um, being healing-centered means that even though we have as individuals or as communities experienced trauma, historical trauma, and this is, of course, not just for Native people, people from every type of community have experienced trauma and so yes being trauma informed is that first step in recognizing the way that that can impact our ability to seek wellness or to live in balance today but we can also empower ourselves give ourselves permission to move beyond this state of healing from trauma and to move into this space of thriving because even though we have experienced negativity and hardship that doesn't have to define us or to define our experience in the future. And so um, I think that once we allow ourselves, give ourselves permission to fully um, thrive and move beyond the trauma. Now, of course, much easier said than done, and it is very much a process and it's very much a journey. But um, just to say that, you know, those who have experienced trauma have just as much of a right and an ability to thrive as those who have not.
1: Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So let's start talking a little bit about the seven circles. Uh, The book kind of opens with this beautiful introduction and then it goes right into movement. And, you know, honestly, when people think of like our wellness industry that we have today, I think that's all that people really focus on is the physical being like this movement piece. Um, and I love that you guys really expanded on that to seven different views, but also within the movement, you opened up what this could mean. And one of the things I loved so much was how you talked about integrating movement rather than setting specific time aside for it. And I'm wondering, can you just talk a little bit about what that experience or that journey was like for you when you started really making that an integrated part of your life.
2: Mm -hmm. So I think when I realized that movement isn't just an extracurricular activity, but it's something that is literally required for um, self-care, for mental well-being, for emotional health, for preventative health care, it's something that in our society is placed on the margins. But in reality um impacts our well being in all of these different ways. And so it's necessary. I think once that clicked for me, I was able to then start figuring out ways to integrate as opposed to save it for a five to six p.m. gym session every single day, right? So um as a parent it's especially relevant. So um like recreation and having fun for our family usually almost always entails some kind of movement. We're going outside, we're going hiking, we're going to the river, going to the park, um, or even just kind of like running around and playing around our house a little bit, um, having less furniture, cluttering our spaces so that we have like room to lay out our yoga mats in the middle of the living room. Um, and even like now as I'm on this podcast, um, I am trying to sit with an upright posture and um, remind myself to keep checking in on that because that is even as simple of a movement as a posture adjustment. That's like something that you integrate all day, every day, and suddenly it transforms your body. So that's kind of what we're talking about with – Integrating movement into everything that we do. A lot of times, if I have a phone meeting, I will take that meeting while walking around the block. I could walk in circles around my block while talking to somebody for an hour, just as long as, you know, I'm, because like anybody else, I often have a hard time fitting in movement any other time of the day. So, yeah, I mean, of course, it's still good to set aside time and do those like more focused studio sessions or gym sessions when you can. But it's also facing the reality that many of us are a part of this like nine to five office culture working from our desks, working from computers, and we have to find ways to just integrate.
1: Um, I really appreciated that when you talked about movement, it wasn't just in a studio session or running on a treadmill. You really connected it with the land. And one of the things that you've talked a lot about is the earth Gym. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so Earth Gym is simply the concept of working out outdoors, under the sun, under the sky. Um, If you are outdoors, whether you're in an urban area, in a suburb, or in the middle of a national park, that's called Earth Gym. And it's also a challenge to, you know, exercise without necessarily having equipment on hand to use your surroundings, your natural environment, what's around you. And it's a way of um, bolstering all of the benefits that you get from a movement practice um, basically are amplified when you take your exercise outdoors, especially if the elements are a bit harsh, like cold or heat or whatever it may be.
1: Oh, man. I didn't even consider like that level of the elements. I was just thinking about the weights,
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's again, it's just this concept because we're trying to draw inspiration and um, and technical knowledge from our ancestors who were so active and so healthy for thousands of years on this land. And one of the primary reasons why that is, is because they were outside moving all day, every day, whether it was for food processing or for travel or for recreation our people who basically lived uh, most of their day outside. And um, that ranges all the way from the northernmost indigenous communities all the way to the south where it's hot. And that is just one thing that so many Native people had in common. And so I think that it's so important for us to recognize that it's not, it's very new and it's not necessarily normal to always be indoors. And so many of our health problems have resulted from the indoor sedentary lifestyle that we're leading now. And so it's certainly not easy and we're not claiming to be perfect at anything that we promote in our book, but we do know for sure that the more time we spend outside, the healthier we become mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate how even in the book, you made accessing the land accessible. Like it wasn't just saying you have to go out to the mountains or, you know, you need to go to a faraway place. You really even talked like center city. You could expand your awareness of the land and be present on the land as you're in the middle of the city.
2: Totally. You know, on Instagram and on social media and stuff, people are always talking about nature, 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 nature. And that's a word that we don't even really use because, um, I think it's just so important to recognize that the land is everywhere and we're continuing to marginalize people from having a connection to the land. If we only say that it counts, you know, if you're out in, like I said, in a national park or something, um, I think it's so important for us to connect to the land wherever we are and to try to take care of what, what we have.
1: Mm, That's good. Um, Another thing I loved about the book was how you and Thosh incorporated community into wellness. You know, I just don't see too many folks doing that. I mean, maybe like in a CrossFit setting and they talk about the CrossFit community, but you go beyond like the gym community. And you're talking about your real community. And I just wanted to read this one quote. You say, contrary to what patriarchal systems have demonstrated throughout history, the building of strength is not about overpowering others. Instead, the indigenous perspective on health is one that focuses on healing from within in order to cause a positive outward ripple effect, contributing to a greater good and redistributing strength. Creating community is wellness. And I would love to hear you know why that was so important to put on in the book when the community that we see in more wellness circles isn't like that mhm
2: well you're absolutely right that most mainstream wellness platforms or practitioners don't talk about community at all but for native people community is central to everything that we do And it's not just um, community as far as, like, the people that live in your town or in your region. It's really also zooming in on healthy practices for family, for extended family, and for healthy relationships. And then, of course, self-care is a part of community circle as well. Because, like I said, everything has an outward ripple effect. And when you take care of yourself and you begin to heal from within – that will have a positive impact on the ones who you love. And so I think that centering community in wellness is really helpful for a lot of people because there are a lot of people who literally hear the word wellness or self care and they roll their eyes. They're like, I don't have time for that. I have kids, I have a job, I have a lot of people that I'm responsible for managing and for helping and for housing. And I don't have time to, you know, do. movement practice or whatever it may be, or I can't put budget toward, um, you know, things that might, that might be beneficial for my health. But I think that when we reframe it and we remind folks and, and help people to make those connections that taking care of health is a way of taking care of community and preventing health crises that might further impact your loved ones. When we center community, um, I think it helps a lot of people sort of um, tear down that blockage, that mental blockage, and really connect to wellness in a way that does feel justice oriented to them. Um, You know, it doesn't, of course the Western wellness industry promotes this idea of health that is all about image. It's all about how do I look? Um, It's all about, sort of this materialistic pursuit. And I think what we're showing is it really doesn't have to just be that.
1: Mm. That's so good. And even this chapter on community, you talk a little bit about parenting as well. And I felt like that was so huge for me as a parent to read through. Um, You know, I just started to, not only for my own well-being but started to look at my child as someone to learn from and I was more intentional about my tone and my voice and my words that I chose to engage with after reading this book and even just giving myself permission to be more inclusive with my child because you know there are so many parts of American culture where like kids aren't allowed or moms can't bring their kids to things because it's looked down on and this gave me permission to be more willing to do those things because it was like, this is a part of our wellness together.
2: Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, the indigenous way of parenting is something that was taken away from our people during the colonial process, because there was this system that was around for about 100 years called the residential school system or the boarding school system, where native kids were taken out of our homes forcibly, as early as the age of three, not allowed to return. And when they, the point was to assimilate us and to destroy our culture, it was a cultural genocide. And these schools were where uh, sexual abuse took place, physical abuse, um, and of course, the ongoing trauma of being removed from your family and from your community. And so in this few generations of people, like my grandparents' generation and their parents' who were subjected to these boarding schools um, we lost a lot of our knowledge of birthing of pregnancy teachings of parenting teachings our people experienced so much trauma that you now see the highest rates in the world of native children in the foster care system and so all of that is to say When my husband and I found out that we were pregnant, we were going to have a kid, it was top priority for us to reintegrate and revitalize Indigenous ancestral parenting and pregnancy teachings because we know that those were so healthy and so holistically healing for our people for thousands of years. So it's really been a process of learning for us as well, and we're certainly not perfect, but... It is fascinating to learn about Indigenous parenting techniques and to know that the way that children and babies have always been valued by our people, like you said, as not just, you know, um, little, uh, I don't know, non-contributing members of society, but rather as some of the wisest teachers, as some of the most precious and sacred mem contributing members of the community and the same goes all the way to elders so which is another part of the community chapter that we talk about Um, in western culture people talk about the elderly or they talk about old people but they don't talk about our elders with this reverence and with this understanding that elders are to be included in decision making are to be honored and revered and respected and cherished. And we visit with our elders and we bring our elders with us. Wherever, we, you know, wherever community activities are happening, elders are not only welcome, but like prioritized. So I think that this those are aspects of community that people can really learn from in looking to Indigenous communities because even though so much of that was... Um, severed or taken away with the residential and boarding school system and other aspects of colonialism, we've also managed to hang on to quite a lot of it. And I think that we demonstrate those values quite beautifully. And it's something that really makes me proud of our people.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I could agree 100%. Even just hearing you name the difference in language, like how our... Dominant culture here will speak of folks as elderly rather than elders. Like, that's such a great point because that is the difference right there, the way that we label folks and engage with them. Um, I want to say you also talk about, you know, walking in a ceremonial way or living each day like a ceremony. And I think that, you know, when you're talking about revitalizing with your cultural roots and Indigenous parenting and things like that, that kind of comes into play as well. So I'm wondering, can you talk about what that means, walking in a ceremonial way?
2: Mm -hmm. So basically for our people, we have certain ceremonies that we attend that um, I guess you could say everybody's kind of on their best behavior in these. It's kind of like in Western culture of people are at church or at, um, you know, a religious uh, setting or a formal setting of any kind Um, you're kind of um, acting with your best values, your best foot forward. And that's how we are in ceremony. But then our elders remind us, you should try to walk in a ceremonial way in your day-to-day life. Even when you're not in this setting, try to carry this with you because that's the whole point is not to just experience ceremony in this one week that we're all here together. It's to carry the healing and the good energy and the teachings with you everywhere you go, and to try to be a better person in your day to day life, and so that's why we encourage folks to learn this concept of walk in a ceremonial way, and um, and try to um, bring your best values forward in everything that you do.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I love that, and I even think you know, in the next chapter as well, when you're talking about sacred spaces, I feel like some of that is even stemming from walking in a ceremonial way, you know, being very intentional about the space that you, you spend time in as well. Um, I'm curious, I would love to hear your thoughts. I know in the book, you mentioned a little connection to minimalism, and even said, you know, having a clutter. feeling clutter free and minimal home is an indigenous virtue and I'm just curious you know what are your thoughts on the current minimalism movement and and how how can folks you know be respectful and honoring if they want to see um take some of these these values from your book and and apply them to their lives
2: Well, I'm totally inspired by the minimalist movement of today that, um, where folks are just so mindful of not, um, using, um, you know, disposable plastics and, uh, you know, finding ways where they're not even buying things like paper towels anymore and replacing that with things that could be reused and, um, I, I'm so inspired by that. And again, minimalism is an ancient practice for our people. It's something that they really valued for thousands of years. And there's a teaching in Lakota culture that if you're the whole point of accumulating goods is to give it away, you never own anything that is out of question for redistribution so and they always say that like the wealthiest person in the community is the one with the fewest things because they've given the most away the wealthiest um, or the most respected um, chiefs or matriarchs of the community would have often the fewest items or the least fancy regalia and clothing because they would have given it all away so I think that that's just such a different way of viewing life and again um of course like everything else this is a practice that is in some ways has been severed from our people but we're reclaiming we're trying to learn about that again and reclaim it and apply it to our lives in today's modern world and so what can that look like for people today well simple things like can you try to resist buying online or buying from Amazon as often as possible, really just purchasing things directly from a store so that you save on some type of environmental impact with shipping and packaging. Um, Can you just uh, be less tempted to have to have every toy or every item of clothing that you want and try to be more minimal? Like I know for me, um, something that I've gotten really into in recent years is buying almost all of my clothes from consignment stores at this point. Um, it's, I, it's almost more fun for me to shop that way than it is to just buy something new. Or if I do buy something new, I intend to keep that item for years to come. And um, so I think those are just some of the ways that we can take small steps and try to be more minimal and more mindful in our homes.
1: Yeah, that sounds really great and I appreciate you sharing that Lakota background with minimalism and generosity. I think that's so powerful that especially in our culture, you know, in dominant culture, we don't really talk very much about being generous. We talk about being successful and powerful and a hard worker but we don't really celebrate generosity in that way. And I think that is such a sacred and beautiful thing to acknowledge because those things actually enrich our lives far greater than having a lot of things or a big house, you know, like being generous gives back to us more than having those things does.
2: Totally. It's some, it's so funny. I was just thinking about this. My sisters and I were all Libras. We all have our birthdays like one after the other. Um, And so I was observing my feelings when I received gifts from them. I felt, of course, very happy and very grateful. But I was probably two or three times more excited when they received the gift from me. And I think we've all had that feeling and that experience. It's so exciting to give something to somebody. And yet we forget to do that and we forget to value that. So I I truly think it is a practice that can make us happier if we get in the habit of it. Um, and then, you know, the other part of the sacred space conversation is just having reverence for your home and viewing your home as um, and, and your surroundings as a place that does really impact your total sense of well being. And one thing that I wanted to make abundantly clear is it doesn't mean that you have to have this perfectly clean, minimal, perfect house at all times. I mean, God knows as a parent, we don't have, I mean, that's impossible. It's so hard, um, especially with little kids running around and stuff. Or, but um, the point is, so not, the point is not to think that you have to be perfect all the time or that your home has to be perfect, but it's to recognize that just as movement is a wellness practice, just as eating healthy is a wellness practice, maintaining our homes is, and trying to declutter and trying to be as minimal and as cleanly as possible and, and, and practicing that, like making our bed in the morning, can impact our sense of well-being to the same degree or maybe in a different way than, you know, doing an hour of yoga or whatever it may be. So it's just like kind of giving people that option. Here's another wellness practice that you can do that is not necessarily eating or working out oriented.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, I see that in my own personal life, too. When we work toward a tidy house, or we're more minimal or intentional about our purchases, you know, we even produce more gratitude for the things that we do have, because we've worked hard to get these nice things. And we don't have a ton of things that we're worried about cleaning and organizing and tidying up because you know, when you get more stuff, that's more stuff that you have to manage.
2: Mm hmm. Absolutely. Another time I felt it was, um, cleaning out a couple years ago, I did like a pretty big purge of my closet and, you know, gave stuff away. And, um, it just felt so much more satisfying than the feeling of buying something new, which is also, as we know, a satisfying feeling. It's like a release of endorphins when we like click order on that online shopping button. (laughs) But, um, and like it, what, what helped that process for me and making it feel even more meaningful was like, I found specific people to give items to. So I wasn't just like dumping every, throwing out in the garbage or like dumping things off. Like I found people who actually wanted some of the items of clothing that I had. And it just felt really good to, to redistribute things in that way. It felt way more satisfying than, like I said, buying something you new. Know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost like this shared economy, you know, like we have enough for everyone and, you know, we know who likes our stuff so we can give it to those folks. And it even goes back to that, you know, you're gaining wealth by being generous, especially intentional generosity.
2: Mm-hmm, totally. And of course it's something I'm constantly working on. I am probably as materialistic as the next person on certain days. I just, you know, I, I, And that's something we're really honest and forthcoming about in the whole book is like, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're all human. We're all on this journey. One day to the next, we might be really thriving in one of these seven circles and we might be really neglecting another one. But the point is like at least acknowledging and being able to recognize that all seven of these areas of our life impact our health impact our sense of well-being and we can address those when we're ready
1: mm. yeah that's good and i did really appreciate and i think our, our listeners will really appreciate you know reading through you guys are the experts of this book and reading through and still hearing you know There are spaces where we can grow. And even like the process in which you lay out, you say it goes back to learning. You know, you go through the process of learning and engaging and optimizing, but then you go back to learning. And I think that was really a great addition because for those of us who might be, you know, taking on sleep for the first time, you know, like Mm -hmm. learning that, oh, okay, this is a whole new piece of my wellness that I'm trying to build on, but, you know, maybe I'm doing really good in my sacred space and having a minimal home, but my sleep, I'm really, I'm really trying to grow in.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And it's, it's just one day to the next and it's one phase of life to the next. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, balance requires imbalance. And that's just a part of life. And it's uh, what frustrates me is in the mainstream world, the kind of consistent narrative that you tend to see, and I understand why people do it, is um, I was everything was wrong in my life until X point, and then I finished the fad diet or I completed the you know obstacle course, and I learned X Y Z information, and now I'm great, and now I'm this amazing person, and I've got it together, and I'll never look back. I mean, yeah, there's certain things, big humps in my life I can say I've overcome and I don't think I'll return to, um, you know, some of the sort of negative aspects of life that may have been present when I was younger. But at the same time, it's not like you just clear the hurdle and then you're coasting for the rest of your life. And I think that when we constantly share those narratives – it sets everybody else up for failure because that's just not how life works. You continue to have struggles. You continue to learn new things and have new things to overcome. And um I think it's so wise that our people, our ancestors and our spiritual people today always view things as a cycle as opposed to this linear journey.
1: Oh, yeah. That was very apparent throughout the book and I really appreciated that too. You know, just on this journey and one of the things that i took away from your book was just being intentional and being aware throughout each of these seven circles and i think that was really encouraging for me to to see this different perspective that wasn't like grind until you die and do crossfit until your back breaks it was like here we are and there is an ebb and flow and it's more about balance and and being intentional and we we know that we're going to come back to maybe the beginning phase or the learning phase again. I just thought that was so needed and good.
2: Good. I'm so glad that you interpreted it that way.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I know we are coming close to time. So I just wanted to ask at least one question about food, because I was really encouraged by the food chapter. Um, I guess I would love to hear, just to give our listeners a quick little taste, can you define indigenous food way for us? Like, what does that mean?
2: Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily push a specific type of diet or a specific type of eating. We always say there's room in the world for carnivores. There's room in the world for vegans and everything in between. And where we get into trouble is when we try to impose a diet upon other people, and when we begin to forget that we are all individuals with our own needs, our own preferences, our own regions that we live in, and. Um, So in general, we're just not about the whole fad dieting thing, or we believe that if you are a person who's a part of a very strict type of food community, then it's really important to not necessarily try to impose that upon other people. Um, As we know, it happens all the time because that's (laughs) that's why the wellness industry is worth billions of dollars today, but we don't do that. So indigenous foodways is a system that we have defined as similar to the way that our ancestors approach food, which is that rather than viewing it as a lifeless commodity that sits on the shelf, you understand that it is a life-giving spiritual entity that you can have a relationship with, a healthy relationship. And so when we begin to view food through that lens, it We get out of this harmful mindset that food is our enemy, that we have to constantly be restricting ourselves, that we have to be following the trends of food, but rather that we should um, sort of get back to that elemental respect and relationship to food and food processes. And so we identify different actions that people can take to strengthen their relationship to food, which includes... um, Things like gathering food, foraging, growing food, learning to shop smart at the grocery store, or even to order, um, in a way that serves your health at a restaurant. Um, and, uh, breastfeeding is a part of that or supporting, uh, the um, mother's ability to choose how she wants to feed a a baby and um and that kind of thing so it's all about just encouraging folks to reestablish a relationship to food Mm, that's so good
1: well chelsea i feel like i could talk to you all day but i think we've taken enough your time um before i let you go for the night i just am curious can you let us know what you and thosh are working on now
2: Well right now we are in the thick of things with our book. Um, We have some events coming up and um, we're so excited for a whole year of just continuing to promote our book and probably will be traveling a lot doing lots of speaking engagements and workshops and stuff surrounding the seven circles so if you want to stay up to date with us you can certainly check us out on instagram at for culture or you can check out our website welferculture.com and be in touch
1: that's so awesome well we are really excited to continue to support your work and we want to just thank you so much for being on the show today i really enjoyed getting to talk to you and i can't wait to continue to see what you and thosh are up to
2: Thank you so much, Meg. I'm so honored to be here. So happy and really thrilled to hear your interpretation of our book and the way that it impacted you. And that's all that I could hope for. I'm very, very happy. And thank you so much for connecting with me.
1: Yes, of course. Well, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.